Well, happy Advent. Oh, uh, we can let's try it again. Happy Advent. Okay. It's a penitential season, but we can still be happy. Uh, Jesus has come, and he will come again. Praise God. And so we celebrate that great truth. Um, if Advent is new to you, I mentioned last week, I did not grow up with Advent, and so it was unfamiliar to me. But if you're in that camp, if it's new to you, Advent is these four weeks leading up to Christmas. And it's a, a time in the liturgical calendar where we celebrate uh, primarily that Jesus will come again, his return that Jesus is going to come. He came to save the world and he'll come to return and, and judge the world and he will establish his kingdom forever. And so we give praise to God for that. And if you're new to Advent, um, it may surprise you the kinds of Bible readings that we have during Advent may, may sound dissonant, as we talked about last week, dissonant with uh, the chords of Christmas, so to speak. In fact, this week's reading, gospel reading, is a prime example of that, the fact that our readings focus less on the birth of Jesus and more on his return and more on the promises of God for those of us who wait in this in-between time. And so I want to invite you to open your Bible uh, to Mark chapter 1, those verses that I just read. That's where we're going to look this morning for our Advent um, time, and we want to consider this not-so-Christmassy character named John the Baptist. Now, if Advent had a poster boy, right, if it had a mascot, it would be John the Baptist. John is uh, an unusual character, to say the least. He's decked out, as we read, in clothes made of camel hair. He's got uh, a rough leather belt tied around his waist, and he's got honey, at least I picture honey, dripping from his beard, right? And he's got locust breath. No one likes to hang out with anybody that's got locust breath. He's a wild man. His hair is unkept. His eyes ablaze. He is coming out of the wilderness. I love how Mark says, John appeared. He appeared as out of nowhere into history. And so I, I've tried to imagine how John fits in with this season uh, all around us of Christmas. Can you imagine a John the Baptist character coming to your Christmas party? Talk about a buzzkill. He would make everybody uncomfortable, right? No one feels comfortable around John. That's why John gets no Christmas cards. John gets no Christmas ornaments. John doesn't even make appearances in Advent calendars. John is awkward. He is. He's incredibly awkward. And we look at him and we encounter him here in the scriptures and we ask, what are we to do with this character John the Baptist, this unique, awkward, challenging figure in the scriptures. So as I said, we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. And as we do, I want us to consider two questions together. The first question is, who is this man, John the Baptist? And the second is, what is his message? Who is he and what is his message? So first, a little background on John. John was a contemporary of Jesus. He, in fact, was the cousin of Jesus. In Luke, we're told that John has his own miraculous origin story. Born to the priest Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth in their old age, an angel comes and tells them that their son John would, quote, be a great man in the sight of the Lord. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. In Mark, 
we're told this amazing prophecy from Isaiah and Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you. That's John. He will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now again, context is helpful. For centuries, God's people, Israel, had been waiting for God to speak. For almost 400 years, they've been waiting for God to send someone to liberate them from their oppressors and to restore the kingdom. They have been conquered and conquered and conquered again, most recently by Rome. And so as they wait, there have been no prophets, no voices like Isaiah or Elijah, no one calling the people back to God, no promise restored, no promise of a new king who would save them. And so as they waited and waited and waited, they began to doubt. Many began to doubt and gave up. So that's why Mark's gospel begins with these words of the Old Testament and John appearing on the scene. John appears suddenly in the wilderness and he looks like Elijah and he sounds like the prophets of old, Isaiah and Malachi, and he is a living sign of this great truth. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. And so here through John, God is keeping his promise. He is preparing his people for what is to come. God has promised a Messiah and a king. That's why John is often called the last Old Testament prophet and the forerunner of Jesus. He's the linchpin in the story of scripture, old and new, joined together in this man we call John the Baptist. And he goes before Jesus to prepare people's hearts for what God is doing. So that's who John is. So our second question is, what is John's message? What is his message? Look with me at verse 4. It says that John had a very specific message. What was he preaching? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in a sense, John's message is that simple. He is going, going before to prepare the way for Jesus, and he's doing so by calling people to repent, to repent. Now, we hear the word repent, and we may have several things that kind of come to mind about what that means. Repentance, I think generally, if you're asked the average person on the street, means probably something like feeling bad or feeling sorry for the things that we did wrong. But repentance in the Bible means something so much more. It's more than feeling bad for doing bad things. It certainly contains that sentiment. Our consciences, right, should be troubled when we disobey and dishonor the Lord. But the Greek word for repentance is a word called metanoia. Can you say that? Metanoia. Metanoia it means a change of one's entire direction of life. It means you are going this way and you stop in your tracks and you turn and you begin to go this way. It is a change of heart. It literally means to turn towards or to return to the Lord. A deep change of heart. It is to reorient our hearts and, and subsequently to change our outward life accordingly. And that last part is very important 
to change our outward life accordingly. I wonder if you've ever had someone in your life who says sorry a lot. Someone who said they're sorry and sorry and sorry and sorry. And you come to that point, don't you? You come to that point where you've heard sorry so many times, you want to explode and say, listen, I'm tired of hearing you say you're sorry. What I want is to see a change of behavior, a change of heart. To repent is more than saying, God, I'm sorry. It is to give ourselves completely to the Lord at the deepest part of who we are. This is John's message. It's a call to repentance. The savior that you need and that I need, he is coming. Good news, he is coming, so turn away from your sin and your selfishness and turn to the Lord. Turn your hearts to him. It was a message that was accompanied by a powerful sign. What was that sign? Baptism. Baptism was a sign of repentance. Now, this is different than the baptism that Jesus brings. Jesus brings a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which will bring new and eternal life. This is the baptism of what we might call preparation, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so that's who John is, and that's his message. Let's get to the so what. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for Advent in 2023? What does it mean for our lives? Well, I want to say it means at least two things. I think it means a great deal, but at least two things I want to touch on this morning. The first, I would summarize this way. Real heart change requires honest confession. Real heart change requires honest confession. I don't know if you feel this way, but when I hear the message of John the Baptist, I feel uncomfortable. I can guarantee you that hashtag repent is not trending. <laughs> it is a message that forces us, right? It forces, it pushes us in, a, in an awkward place where we have to consider the power and the depth of sin within our own hearts. We have to take a long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror, and that is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. We'd rather not acknowledge those parts of us. I don't like thinking about my pride. I don't like thinking about the thoughts that I think that I hope no one ever finds out about. I don't like acknowledging my judgmental attitudes and my resentments of the fears and the insecurities that take hold of me, of my stubborn unwillingness to trust God and my habit of self-reliance. I don't like looking at those things head on. None of us do. It's scary. It can be painful. It's certainly overwhelming. And so we'd rather not. Dale Bruner, in his commentary on Matthew, writes about John the Baptist and his message. And he says this, which spoke to me. He said, the remedy for sin is not denying the presence of sin or explaining it away, but openly admitting it. We are free from sin only when we face it. We disown sin, 
by owning up to sin. It is remitted where it is admitted. The way we open ourselves to God's grace and his healing is not by trying harder to do better. It's not by faithful Sunday attendance or deep commitment to our life group or faithful devotional times or biblical scholarship. Those are good things. But the way we come to the Father is by being honest and vulnerable and real. We come to one another and we confess our sin and our brokenness. We take God at his word in James 5, 16, where he says, confess your sins one to another. Why? So that you may be healed, forgiven, made whole. So I was reflecting on this this week. I thought of the words of a pastor friend of mine who I think very profoundly stated, you can be impressive in this world or you can be known but you cannot be both. You can be impressive or you can be known, but you cannot be both. All across the reality is that this island, this town, this city, this state, this world doesn't need an impressive church. It doesn't need a church that's focused on denouncing the sins of the world. What it needs is a church that willingly confesses its own. Nothing is more repelling than a church that poses and pretends. And nothing is more beautiful than a church that confirms the gospel by its lived reality. And so the question is, what kind of church Will we continue to be Holy Cross? What might happen if we came to be known in this place as the most honest church in town? A place where people could be truly known and truly loved, where people can hear and experience the power of the gospel. Let's be a church that loves to repent. I know, it's sinking in. It's sinking in. Because we know that's the only way to receive grace and healing. Because we know that God is faithful to forgive because he loves us. And we know that through the transforming work of Jesus, our lives will be changed. Church, let's get real with God and with one another. Let's take him at his word and repent and repent and repent because we believe the gospel. That's just the first point. <clears throat> yeah. Number two, number two. So the first thing is we want to be people who experience real change and that takes real confession, honest confession. The second point I want to make this morning is that we all desperately need a savior. The message of John the Baptist to prepare the way of Jesus was a message intended to soften the hearts of God's people, 
so that they could receive Christ. And it's meant to soften our hearts as well so that we can receive Christ, that he can rescue us from ourself and from sin and from death. The truth is left to ourselves, we will never repent. I will never repent on my own, of my own accord. I will never turn back to God. Nothing in me, nothing in you could ever fix you. We need God to change us and to save us. The good news of John the Baptist of Advent is that Jesus has come and he will come again. A power that is able to make a new creation out of people like you and me to soften our proud hearts, to open us up to his power. That is the good news of the gospel. We cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. Mark says this is good news. And it's good news because the news is not a word of condemnation. In Romans chapter 2, we're told that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. His kindness. It's what he's done for us on the cross. It's what he's done to show his love for us, paying the price of our sin and dying in our place that draws us to him. It's God's power that gives us the strength to repent. We are able to repent and to live in a new way because of God's love for us. God loves his people. He loves you and me. And there is nothing, nothing that can change that. There is nothing you have done that God does not know. And I want you to know that when you are at your worst, when you are coming uh, to the end of yourself, when you are committing the worst of the worst sins, do you know that Jesus does not turn from you in disgust? He does not turn away from you in disappointment. He embraces you. He embraces you. Even when I'm not loving God, he still loves me. We are never beyond the reach of his grace. And so the good news is you can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can. John the Baptist came to prepare the way and point the way to Jesus. His message stands today. Repent and put your trust in Jesus and you will be saved. One day, Jesus will return as king and he will make all things new. He will usher in his new kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a political kingdom. It's not a geographical kingdom. It is a new reality. It is the vision of Isaiah 11. Jesus said, uh, this kingdom will not be ushered in in, uh, in any other kingdom way. Jesus will come and not judge by what he sees, Isaiah says, not with his eyes, but by what he sees in our hearts. We will be judged by our hearts, our hearts of repentance. The Bible ends with the cry, come Lord Jesus. And when Jesus comes, the struggle will end, the fight will be over, his victory will be complete, and his kingdom will arrive in full. And there will be no need for repentance because our devotion to the King, King Jesus, will be perfect and eternal. And we will see him face to face and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for the forerunner. Thank you for the one who came to prepare our hearts for Jesus. We thank you for your faithful servant, John the Baptist, and that he stands, he stands at the linchpin of history and points not to himself, but to our Savior, 
to you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this good news of mercy, that in you there is repentance and forgiveness of sins, that in you, Jesus, through trust in you, we are made whole, we are set free, we are a new creation in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. amen.